Welcome to the Eyes Up Mindset Podcast, where we explore what it means to grow daily and find our best in every aspect of life. We are back with another episode of the Eyes Up Mindset Podcast. I am John Shirky, here with my friend and co-host, Jamie Wagner. Jamie, we are excited to bring another episode, new content to our listeners that challenges them on a daily basis to grow and to give. Again, for us, our mission is to continue to grow together and how we do that as we grow the number of people that are engaging in the conversations that we're having. The best way that you can support us and the Eyes Up Mindset podcast is to share it, give it away, find somebody that hasn't listened yet, share an episode. Today is another interesting conversation where we get into some more technical details, Jamie. So who are we talking to? Taylor Staden is the host of the Mental Dive podcast. He's also a mental skills coach at Consistent Elite Performance. And he gives us some really practical tools that we can use, not just as athletes and coaches, but in our daily lives when kind of the pressure turns up. Maybe it's a reset routine that he gets into some specifics on that or breath control that allow us to come back to the present and perform at our best. Taylor is going to bring you something that you can apply today to make your day better. Taylor Staden. It's a pleasure to have you on the show. Thanks, John. And as well as you, Jamie, I really appreciate you two reaching out and offering to bring me on the podcast. It's, it's a pleasure. I'm usually on the other side of the mic. So it's nice to switch it up for a day and uh, kind of see what I put my, what I put my, uh, my guests through. So this should be fun. Thank you again. You bet. So, I was actually listening to one of your episodes today and, and I was like, dang, I'm going to ask the same question that Taylor asks, but like <laughs> you get to ask this question a lot, but I don't know how much you get to talk about kind of what is your, why, I mean, you're a mental skills coach. You work with, you know, performance athletes, all of those things. Like what's your, why, how'd you get here? You know, I think that's an excellent question. It's funny you asked me that just cause like you were saying, that's, I open that up pretty much for all my podcasts because I think I think one of the beautiful things about the field of mental performance and sports psychology is that everyone has such a unique story and a unique path yet we all kind of work towards a common goal as a field and I, I find that really rewarding in a sense to talk about so for me you know I was never a d1 athlete or you know a professional hockey player or anything like that um growing up I've always had a passion for sports you know like I think back to kind of my earliest memories of watching the Maple Leafs play with uh, my dad and my family, um, you know, I didn't see a guy like Matt Sundin, always want to be like Matt Sundin. And that's, you know, I want to be the captain Leafs and all that. And as I got older, always playing hockey, always trying to get better. Once I got to a certain age where I was like, you know what, I'm not even close enough to make a rep team. So I'm probably not going to go professional or be the captain of the Leafs. So I had to kind of make a decision there. <laughs> and that decision was kind of, okay, how can I still be involved in a space of sport? Because I know that's where my passion was, but not necessarily play. Cause I don't think anyone was giving me that opportunity anytime soon. Um, so as I got into high school, um, I became very interested in the social sciences. Um, and as well, just growing up, I've always been very, um, aware of my emotions. I'd say like, I was never that kid who would shy away from, um, kind of expressing, you know, my emotions or anything like that. And sure it got me teased at times, but you know, now that I reflect, I think that that was just, you know, part of me and, you know, I, and I understood, and, you know, and I, help me relate with other people when, you know, maybe they're going through similar things and if they want to open up and talk about their emotions. And that's something that I always enjoyed doing was helping people. 
Um, so as I started to learn more about the social sciences in high school and, and whatnot, I came across this undergraduate sports psychology program um, at Laurentian University, um, just like through one of our classes when you look at potential careers and whatnot. And right then and there, I looked at this program, and I was like, wow, this is literally the best of both worlds. I get to help people and I get to be like in like um, an athletic like domain and like culture. Like this is sick. Like why would I not want to do this? So that as of that there and then sports agent, massage therapist, all that went right at the window and I was solely focused on sports psychology. That's kind of my journey. I don't want to say journey because it's very anticlimactic. My kind of story per se in terms of why and how I got involved in sports psychology. We're similar in some ways. It's like we're, we're both athletes that, you know, played at the college level, but we, we knew very well that there was a finite ceiling on that, on that opportunity. And, you know, I taught, taught and coached to be in sports and to be around kids and to help and to engage in that process. And John was in mental health for the same reasons is to, is to kind of give it away. We talk about that all the time, but um, when it comes to sports psychology, it's, it's certainly a popular field in some ways right now. It's, it's gained traction. I like to tell people what weightlifting was 30 years ago is where mental performance and sports psychology is today. Today, weightlifting is ubiquitous. It's everywhere. Everybody's doing it at every level. Not everybody's doing mental performance right now. What do you say to somebody that's maybe a little bit skeptical and saying, yeah, that's cool. Like you guys can do that, but I don't know that it's going to give me anything or my program or our kids. And what do you say to somebody that's on the fence? How do you sell them on this being a valuable tool? One of the directions I kind of like to take when a question like that comes up, and it comes up, you know, pretty often, because one of the things with sports psychology and mental performance is that it's not tangible. You can't really see it, right? So, and, and on top of that, now you could really improve in your mental game and you cannot get the results you want. So on top of not being able to see it, you could also not get the results you want. So it's like, is this even a thing? Like, is it you make a difference? So um, in saying that, what I, the direction I like to kind of go is I say, okay, when you're at the elite level, you need every single advantage that you can get to be a performer because it comes to a certain point, you know, when you're, when you're a child, you know, sometimes you can get away with having those extra physical capabilities just by pure force and whatnot. But when you get to the pro level, a lot of athletes have similar physical capabilities, but oftentimes what I find separates those athletes, the, the great athletes from the good athletes rather are the ability to carry out those physical um, skills and whatnot in the moment and when it matters most and that falls on the mental skills so I so when I talk to someone I say what how what percentage of your performance could you think account for with the mental game and I've never had someone tell me zero so whether they say one percent or ninety percent or forty percent or whatnot I say okay so if you value it and you understand that this is something that can make you better why would you not do it why would you not try to take advantage of every opportunity you have to be an elite performer Former and to realize your peak potential and that sometimes kind of gets the gears going and saying okay well you know um if i'm willing to go do all the different you know new physical tactics and techniques and i'm not taking anything away from you know the physical training it's 100 needed then why would you not try something out like sports psychology and mental performance so that's how i kind of go about it I just try to say to people okay you know what how much do you think it accounts for whether it you know whether you really know and if it accounts for something, why would you not work on it? You touched on a key component in terms of elite athletes, professional athletes. 
I think it works the other way too, where if maybe you aren't as physically gifted, if you, if your edge, you can gain, you know, if it's 40% of the mental game and you can, you know, we talk about it all the time, whether it's hockey or basketball, it's IQ, right? Oh, that high IQ. You can actually get more results based on because you can control your emotions and you understand the game and you, mm. you know, are a good teammate, all of those things, even if you aren't an elite physical performer. So certainly works at the high end and also, you know, on the other end too. That being said, like in your mind, and I, again, I, I think you probably asked this question a lot too, but like, what is, if you had one skill, one mental skill that you could teach, what do you think is the most effective that you're going to get the most bang for your buck? You know, I think that's a really good question and it's a loaded question. So I'm going to have to, I, there's a few layers to this. I think one, I think it's important to understand that what may work for one athlete certainly cannot work for another. So from kind of a specific standpoint, you know, you can't really say this athlete, this is the most important mental skill because that athlete might not respond as well to let's say imagery as another athlete would. And another athlete might respond a lot better to breathing exercises than another athlete would. So to me, I think it's really about trying a lot of different mental skills and seeing what works for you in saying that in a general sense, I think that one, the one mental skill that is most important is something like, um, like a focus or a meditation kind of not meditation, sorry, a mindfulness. So if you think about it, if you can't have a clear head, a lot of the time, that's really hard for you to carry out physical emotions because you're overthinking and we can't do and think at the same time for the most part, you know, there's an excellent quote, um, you know, maybe a little bias from my podcast with Dr. Jesse Michelle. And he, he gave me this exercise and I'll do it right now. So he says to me something along the lines of, okay, I want you to think about what four times six minus two divided by five is. Okay. So you're going to think about that in your head. And as you think about that, you kind of notice your eyes kind of wander off. Right. So in our case, it'd be on the screen and on our mics, our eyes kind of wander off from the task at hand. So imagine you're in the batter's box in baseball, for example, and you're thinking it's curveball, is it a fastball? Is it this, is it that, you know, what if this happens, where that happens, you're taking yourself away from the present moment and what you can't control. Right. So I think that by having something in place to help kind of clear your thoughts, um, calm down your, your muscles and your tension and whatnot, so that you can be in the present moment. I think is very valuable. And that's some, that's often a place I like to start with a lot of athletes. Um, and, you know, we could go into a few other topics, uh, kind of ways here, talk about reset routines. We could talk about, you know, ways that athletes can get in the moment, but generally speaking, I, I like to really touch on the idea of breathing and, and mindfulness. I think focus, you, you touched on it. Like, can you focus specifically on something? And then, you know, as an athlete, it's, can you focus on the right things? You know, are there, cause yes. <laughs> so much of our time yeah. is spent on, Oh, it's this scheme. It's this whatever, but are you focusing on the right things? And I, I think you just hit on something that, I mean, I actually, I literally wrote about this this morning. I write, I have a morning writing routine that I do. And I wrote about focus cause I'm going to speak next week. And that's one of the areas I want to hit on. So you, you're like, bang, it, it just nailed it for me. But when that focus disappears, you kind of, you mentioned reset routines, breathing, like, is there something that you like to go to, to draw your focus back to the present? Mm -hmm, absolutely. And, and that would be having a, a customized reset routine. Um, that's something that 
Um, I work, I've worked with a lot of athletes, hockey, volleyball, um, you know, to, to be more specific and swimming. And so basically the way I, I do reset routines is there's three steps to a reset routine. So right after something happens, okay. So let's say, you know, when you're in hockey, you get off a shift and you just didn't have your greatest shift. Right. And you're in your own head. You're thinking, Oh, like, this is terrible. What does a coach think? Oh, what is my, what are my friends in the stands think? You know, this is not, and you're really just focusing like you said on things that you shouldn't be focusing on right in the grand scheme of things they don't really matter right and you can't control them you know people are always going to be like trying to like you know rag on you and whatnot it happens so really so when that happens what i like to do is i like to kind of like just you know take a moment just say okay what happened okay let's be real with yourself what happened so there's a quick reflection period at the start of the reset routine and you're going to say to yourself okay you're going to say, okay, what happened? And are there changes I can make now? Or are they going to have to wait till practice? So if you're playing hockey, you're not going to suddenly change the way you stick handle mid game, right? You probably set yourself up for failure, but if it's a minor kind of tactic thing in terms of awareness, or you didn't realize, you know, what the play was, then that's different. That's a, that's an in-game change you can make. So right, right off the bat, I like to have a quick reflection period. And then the next step is the actual reset part. So Typically, depending on where the athlete's strengths are in terms of, um, you know, their bodily awareness and their mental skills development, um, I often preach either using a diaphragmatic breath, so four seconds, two seconds, six seconds, or I like to use a little bit of progressive muscle relaxation because some athletes may, might hold a lot of tension in their shoulders, legs, back, whatnot, where other athletes might just have a really, you know, their minds are racing and they have to really just kind of you know, chill out for a bit and they just run a lot better to breathing. So the second step being the, being the reset step, um, you know, you would you know, kind of take yourself through uh, a four-second inhale, hold it for two, and exhale for six, or through working on progressive muscle relaxation through maybe some guided scripts and whatnot prior to competition, you know, being proactive with your uh, capabilities and mental skills, then you could learn to systematically tense up only specific muscle groups and do it very efficiently. Um, so that would be the second step to, you know, calm your systems. And then the third step is to actually have something to lock you back into the moment. So you want to have a, you want to have a focus point on this. So you ideally you want it to be something that's always going to be there. So you don't want it to be something that's maybe specific to your home field or rank because that might not be there if you're away. So some athletes like to maybe have a little, a little message on the inside of their gloves, or they might have a gold piece of tape on their glove or their stick, a piece of equipment. And when they look at that, that, and they look at that, that signals them to lock back into the present moment. Because at that point, you've reflected, you've calmed your systems down, and then you can get back to what really matters and what you can ultimately control somewhat at anyways, um, what's happening in the present moment. So that's kind of like a reset routine in a nutshell. That's, that's the one thing that I like to really work with with athletes. And it's... Um, it's something that I think a lot of athletes could benefit from. I really wish I knew what it was when I was growing up. No doubt. I, I say that all the time where it's like, boy, if I knew some of these skills and started working on them before I was done playing, you know, how much, how much better could I have been? I don't know, but it would have been a lot more fun, you know, and I'm just <laughs> thankful that I, I'm just thankful that I, you know, have started down the journey. Cause that's what it is. It's, and it doesn't matter where you are. If you're young, old, it's never too late to start learning some mental skills. Cause it's going to, impact your performance whether that's in athletics or in life so you know you were talking about athletes and doing the reset routine and I was thinking about myself I was a head football coach 
And one of the things that, you know, I never was conscious of or intentional was while I was coaching, having a reset routine. I think about how many coaches we work with that, you know, we talk about this for our athletes, but then you watch them on the sidelines and they might get mad. They throw stuff, they yell, you know, all these things Mm -hmm. and how far down the road you get before you do some sort of reset. And boy, that's, I'm, Sorry, I'm just challenging my, you just challenged me as a coach. So um, (laughs) we just talk about so much from a perspective of working with athletes, but coaches need that stuff too. Or parents, I think that's another big one. Yeah. Like who? I think in your everyday life, it's, it's valuable. You can, you can do it. And Hey, I got emotionally, my effective filter is high. I'm frustrated. I'm angry. What can I do? Four second inhale, two second exhale or two second hold, six second exhale, just a breathing activity quick and something to bring you back to the moment. I, I love that. It, it, thanks for sharing that. Cause I think that's something any of our listeners could take regardless of their, of their station mm-hmm. in life. So I think I just shared my blind spot as a coach to mental skills. Like, because I, I think of it as, okay, this is stuff that you can do without applying it to me as a coach. But I, we have a lot of coaches that listen to our podcast and that we work with what would you say is a, the biggest blind spot that you see for coaches when it comes to mental skills or mental performance? That really depends on the coach, obviously. You're kind of like kind of alluding to what, or earlier speaking that, you know, you look at someone like, um, like Steve Kerr, who's, you know, very well-rounded and invests in a lot of different aspects. But I think generally speaking, I think that coaches have to understand that we are not trying to take away from physical practice. That's the last thing we're trying to do. And it just, it, it I feel like, coaches rather sometimes get caught up in okay well you know like mental skills are great but no way can it impede on our physical practice right even and so that's I feel like that's one of the biggest things and I think on top of that too the fact that mental skills can be incorporated into your physical practice they can actually make your physical practices better so I, I think that's probably one of the biggest blind spots that I see very generally speaking with coaches and that's not directed at any coaches I've ever worked with or anything like that. That's just like from what I hear and what I read and whatnot. Um, but I think that's a really important conversation to have is, okay, if you're going to incorporate mental skills into your program, is it going to be something that is going to be consistent, right? Kind of like have a goal set with it where, okay, what is it going to look like? Um, because from kind of like generally speaking, for the moment it interferes with your physical practice, like, mental training just like doesn't have time. So I I think that's probably one of the biggest blind spots. So could you just give a, just a brief example about how does it, how could it fit with the physical practice, you know, combining the mental skills and the physical practice without giving away all your secrets about as a consultant, you know, (laughs) I'm I'm pretty open book, always happy to share, but um, well, one thing that comes to mind is, okay, so let's say you're talking about a reset routine. We'll stick to the reset routine topic. And let's say you've had a presentation, the athletes are starting to understand it. So you don't necessarily have to have another session specifically dedicated to reset routines. You can incorporate that into your practice. So we talk a lot about, you know, with coaches, okay, we want our practices to be as realistic to game environments as possible. Okay. So how do you do that? Okay. If you're planning using mental skills mid game, then you really should be using them in your practice too. So let's say an athlete is really frustrated in a practice, you know, and they're getting in their own head. You might tell the athlete, listen, take yourself through a reset routine, just like you, just like you would in a game, go to the bench for a bit, chill out. Okay. You're obviously not going to do probably your whole reset routine where you're still on the ice, 
So unless maybe for hockey, for example, sorry, I'm very hockey centric. Um, for hockey, for example, you might have some time between whistles to have a quick, you know, exhale or, you know, quick diaphragmatic breath, but you won't always have time to do it fully. So in the moments where you're doing a drill and you feel the need to reset, you can quickly go to the bench, practice on the bench, which will actually help you improve mid game. And it'll also improve your practices because now that player is more likely locked into a moment and, you know, be able to really focus on improving on their physical skills, um, you know, mid practice. I love your the have a physical tool or physical something on your person like because that's got to be there in practice also that's an easy one to bring yourself okay my attention my focus is back to the gold tape or you know black marker spot on my wrist or whatever i think that's such a good tool to just draw your focus back and now it's also not uncomfortable come game time i've done it before you know it's something i've repeated Mm -hmm. and practiced because what you get what you practice you get good at and uh, if you're not practicing it, the mental side, you're, you're wasting an opportunity there. Also, you mm-hmm. have done some work with youth athletes, with young athletes. Like it says in your bio, six-year-olds and up. I think it's so cool that there are people looking for this at that age. And I think that's super important to push down into the youth level this skill building because we see it where it transitions into every aspect of our life. It's not just sport. And so if you start equipping six, seven, eight, 10 year olds with this stuff to manage their emotions better at a younger age, you're equipping them for a a million things in life. But how do you coaches like there's kind of a machine in youth sports, a U J O, you know, I don't know what the equivalent in hockey is. I'm from Minnesota and I don't know that I apologize, but uh, like, how do you just don't make mental skills just another thing? Like it's another thing to pay for. It's another thing to involve and invest and take away time from family and like, like let kids be kids. How do you keep it light and engaging? And you know, that's a question we have because it's, I think it's such an important thing, but it gets ignored at that level because it's like, well, later we'll do that later. When something's introduced later in life, if people are a lot more likely to be kind of stuck in their ways and say, okay, I've done it this way for a long time. I've gotten to this point. Like, I'm, I'm, some athletes might just be happy where they're at. So if you can introduce it at a young age, even just something as minimal as teaching them basic goal setting techniques. And like, I'm not saying go through a whole, like whole process and whatnot when you work with maybe a six year old, but you might just say like, what do you want to be when you're older? Okay. So you want to be, and then they might, you might kind of backtrack and say, okay, well, what can you do right now to get better? And that might make that six-year-old really excited and really motivated to get back to basketball camp or get back to hockey or baseball camp and, and really give it their all. So I think just having those kind of motivating tools in place at a young age can help introduce them. And then as they get older, you can obviously get a lot more intricate and complex and, and introduce something a lot more concrete. But in terms of just making mental skills another thing, I think one thing that's really important to touch on is that these mental skills that you teach to athletes aren't just for their sport, but they're also life skills. So if you look at a lot of the goals of youth sport, because um, the reality is more than 99% of kids that play youth sport aren't going to be professional. So what do they get out of those experiences? And by teaching these mental skills, you know, you know, let's say they're in a stressful environment at sport and they have a mental skill to help them deal with that stress. Well, that's likely going to translate when they get into the workforce and they're dealing with something stressful in the workforce. And they now, let's say, know how to do a reset routine or to calm themselves down through a breath or um, you know, a progressive muscle relaxation exercise, you know, you name it. 
I think that's really important to touch on is that these are, these, men, these are mental skills, quote unquote, right? A lot of us are mental skills consultants and mental skills coach. We're not athletic mental skills coach, although we may work a lot with athletes. Um, it's just more so generally speaking, you have to find a way to bridge these kind of ideas and values in terms of, okay, what can you gain from sport that you can gain into, you know, your, your life after sport or your life, you know, outside of sport. Um, it's funny. So one athlete I was working with, um, and this was, the, I, this was one of my fondest moments of, you know, my, my, my short lived career so far. Um, he comes up to me, he's really, really excited me. And I taught him about uh, diaphragmatic breathing at hockey. Um, and he comes up to me and he goes, Taylor, if you're there, like I had, I had a test today and I was r- really nervous, but I used a, a belly breath and I really calmed down. And it helped me focus on my test. And I got, I got goosebumps. I got like, I, I think I was blushing. I was like, oh, this is like a huge compliment, right? Because one, it shows that I'm being, I'm, I'm making a difference in a kid's life. But it also shows that they give a heck about what I'm saying, at least to some extent. Um, so no, I, I think that's a really important piece to touch on is trying to make them relatable to all aspects of life, um, opposed to just, uh, just sport. Well, and I think the other thing that hits home with me is that I think it's fairly universal, universally accepted that sports teach life lessons, right? I think you hear coaches, mm-hmm. you hear parents, you're just like, oh, they're learning life lessons by playing the sport. But I think there's a lot of people, if you asked them what specific life lessons, a lot of coaches even would be like, well, I, I don't know. Like, you know, they, they'd make something up, but I think specific mental skills and teaching them at the youth level. Now they have those things where they can go to, well, it's goal setting, it's emotion regulation, it's reset routines mm-hmm. that are going to carry with them throughout life. Taylor, you host a, your own podcast, the mental dive. You get to interview a ton of sports psychologists, elite athletes, all these things. What's something that you have gotten? And I know I'm sure there's a lot because that's part of what we talked about too, is like a lot of times we learn way more from doing interviews than we give, you know? So what's something that you've learned or piece of advice or things that you've applied to your life from one of your guests? You know, I think that's an excellent question. And just, just to start off, like I am extremely grateful for all the opportunities um, and connections and whatnot that I've made through my podcast. The way it kind of started out, just to give a little backstory, I was at a junior hockey game with a good friend of mine, um, Tanner Emerson, and I was talking to him about his junior career as we were watching the game because he played five years of junior hockey. And as we were doing it, it kind of sounded like a podcast. So I said to him, like, dude, it sounds like I'm interviewing right now. Like, like I should start a podcast. He's like, yeah, do it. So a week goes by, it's kind of in the back of my mind, like, oh, I don't know, like, you know, comfort zone, I'm pretty comfy right now. <laughs> like, um, and then he texts me, he's like, so when we do that podcast, he's like, ah, oh, okay, so go to his resume, bring gaming headsets, like no expectations, we do it. And then, you know, um, just under a year later, I'm, I'm now going to talk to NHL players who, I, who I've watched on the Maple Leafs, which is an incredible opportunity and something I never thought I would, I would have, certainly not at, you know, the stage I'm at. Um, but in terms of certain lessons, the one I talked about earlier with Dr. Jesse Michelle, that perspective, I love that. I've taken that idea and I've used it with, you know, some of the athletes I've worked with, um, and related it to, you know, just even outside of baseball, you know, the one example I'll give is I was working with a, um, with a goalie and I'll say, okay, well, if you're in your own head and you're thinking, how do you expect to be able to track a puck 
when it's going around, if you're thinking about all these things, because as a goal, you have to really focus, you know, you're on a, this is a two on one. You have to focus on the puck, the one player, the other player. So you got to focus on a lot of things. So you certainly don't want to be focusing on something that happened in the past. That's outside of your control or something in the future. That's also outside of the control. You want to focus on the now. So I think that one piece of advice from Dr. Justin Michelle um, definitely really stands out. And then just as well, um, I had this one interview with uh, Shawan Vernon Evans. He's a volleyball player for, uh, team Canada and we talked about imagery and he was talking about imagery in terms of his re- rehabilitation process um, I believe he broke bone his leg I'm not sure if it was his femur his tibia his fibula but he broke a bone his leg nonetheless so obviously you know traumatic and, and he talked about how he would still go to practice and he would use imagery to kind of take himself through the plays and you know kind of still get those mental reps so in that way when he got back to you know his, his um the ideal physical state when he's healed and oftentimes you come back from injury actually stronger. He didn't have as much leg because he was still getting those mental reps in. So I found that really interesting just because that's something I've learned and I've known, but I never really thought like, I wonder how many athletes actually do that. And to hear an Olympic level athlete actually talk about how they applied mental skills to get to that point and to aid in their process. um, I found really uh, interesting to me. So those are two definite uh, key takeaways I've had from, from the podcast. That's awesome. I, I think one of the cool things about this is getting to have these conversations and learn, but at the same time, sometimes we're convicted, you know, like I, I get convicted about having a conversation with somebody that's challenging us to do something. And we're putting this out in the world. We're kind of the faces of it in some ways because we're attached to the podcast and then I don't do it well in my own life. And I'm like, okay, I got to get back on my routine or I got to get back and, and communicate better with the people in my sphere. Is there anything that you know, you have a similar experience where it's like, man, I wish I did this better, more consistently. I, I'm talking about this and teaching it. But maybe I'm not very good at it because I think, you know, you've said it, you're not perfect. We're not perfect. We're going to make mistakes. We're going to fail. What is something where, you know, for me, I, like when I am not at my house, I get out of routine so quickly. I like, mm. I, I don't write, I don't wake up as early. I, you know, like, and that's just an example where it's like, man, and it, and it throws off everything in my life. I don't eat as well, whatever it might be. And it's like, how do you, how do you see that in your own existence? You know, a bit, a bit of imposter syndrome in a sense where, you know, we teach these things, we preach these things, but we, we don't actually carry them out ourselves. And it kind of just shows like, even though we're the ones who go to school for these things and, and learn these things and dedicate a lot of time, it doesn't mean you're going to be good at it either. <laughs> right. So that's a whole like, understanding versus doing, um, you know, relationship. But I think one thing that I tend to do, I tend to get in my own head a lot, honestly speaking, like I'm, I'm a natural overthinker. I will think about things that are not even close to true. I will create stories in my own head sometimes. Like I'll be so far in the future or way back in the past that I have to learn myself. And that's funny because I talked about how mindfulness is, you know, probably the most important mental skill in my opinion, you know, to be in the moment. And I've, as much as I've, you know, had trouble with that, I've also kind of taken it upon myself to be like, okay, I'm human. You know, I wasn't an amazing athlete growing up. You know, I didn't have these things. So I'm in terms of an actual applied sense, I'm pretty new to myself. So that's in terms of where like, I'll, I'll take myself through, um, you know, guided, guided breaths, or I will, you know, um, I'll do a little bit of PMR, uh, anything like that. So I think, it's really important to understand that as much as we understand these things, it's funny you talk about, you know, routines and whatnot and being consistent. 
um, I think it's really important as well that we practice these things on ourselves too. So we can relate to the experiences that maybe these athletes are having in terms of their process and their progression, maybe some of the bumps along the way, like learning, as I'm sure you guys know, learning doesn't happen like this. Learning is like this, like all over the place, but eventually it trends towards where we want to go. So I think practicing what you preach is definitely important. Um, as well as, like I said, I understand that we are human as well with, you know, mental skills, coaches and consultants and whatnot. Um, so we're going to have to apply some of these things on ourselves too. Yeah. I, Jamie touched on it, but super convicting when, you know, you put stuff out either, whether it's on the podcast or social media and you have people say, Hey, how are you doing with that thing? And it's like, dang, I'm not so good, but it's a good reminder, <laughs> I think. And, and that's ultimately why, you know, we started doing what we're doing because I think we're, we're, we get better together you know, and, and for us, it's been helpful to have people give us feedback and, and challenge us and hold us accountable too. So we're not perfect and, and we're going to get better every day. That's kind of our, our thing. So Taylor, certainly appreciate you coming on, taking the time today. I know you have a pretty strong social media presence. Where can people find you if they want to interact with you or, or get in touch with you? Well, before, before I do that, John and Jamie, both of you, I, again, I really appreciate you taking the time to have me on. Um, it's very, very humbling uh, for you two to ask me. So uh, thank you for that. I truly do appreciate that. And as well, in terms of uh, checking me out on social media, um, Instagram is probably my, my strongest platform. Uh, so check me out on Instagram uh, at Taylor Staden. That's T-A-Y-L-O-R-S-T-A-D-E-N. Um, I'm also active on Twitter. I have a Facebook page. I have to work on the Facebook page more, but it is there. Um, same thing, T-A-Y-L-O-R, um, S-T-A-D-E-N for both Twitter and, and Facebook. You know, like you guys kind of touched on earlier, I do run my own podcast as well. So if you want to check me out, Mental Dive Podcast, Apple, Spotify, really wherever you find your podcasts, I get the opportunity to talk to a lot of people just like you guys do. So, you know, it's nice that we're sharing a like-minded message and, you know, just trying to, you know, give back. So uh, again, thank you so much for, for having me. Thanks for being on. It was great to connect. I, I'm certainly going to use some of it. And for those of you listening out there, the reason that we had Taylor on is because we follow him on our Instagram and our Twitter and stuff. And, and the <laughs> stuff that he's putting out has challenged us. And so we said, hey, we got to get this guy on. So it's no joke. Get out and follow him. Uh, reach out to him. And, and Taylor, like I said, thanks for coming on. And, and we appreciate your time. When we asked Taylor, what was the one skill? He said, mindfulness, presence. I think we've heard this term gaining traction and steam in the culture. And we're like, well, what is it? I don't know. I'm not a mindfulness. I'm not a meditation. I'm not, that's not me. The means is being able to direct your focus to the present moment, to be able to give your attention to right now and not have that divided attention. That is so much of a challenge for me personally. You know, the phone is always there text message, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, whatever it might be, they're always there. And that convicted me, that kind of hit me and it said, Jamie, you need to do a better job of this. And one of the things that I thought about as he was talking about reset routines was that physical anchor he's talking about on your stick or on your glove, whatever. Could, do we, could we do that in our own life? You know, could it be a ring or a, you know, a mark that tells you come back to now, stay in the present. Don't get caught up in a future that doesn't exist or a past that we can't change. What about right now? The, the reset routine hit home for me when I said, you know, we talk about this with our athletes and as a coach, 
I didn't do that. And then I, as I started thinking about it further, we have a ton of friends. Well, you have a child. We have a ton of friends that have little kids, older kids. It doesn't matter. Parents, I think, a reset routine. How many of you think about that when you maybe lose your cool or you have a difficult time with your kid or your spouse? So going through that process of the three steps that he talked about were what actually happened and can I change it now or does it have to wait until later? He talked about practice, but practice in practical life might mean a time from now after work. Or the next time that something comes up, you know, it's, I get another rep of this. We don't look at life like practice. Sometimes we don't say it's another opportunity to grow and get better, but sometimes that's all it is, is I screwed up. I made a mistake and I got to get better the next time. So I get another rep a week and a half from now. Perfect. That's when I'm going to practice then. Yeah. So going through what happened, can I change it now? Or does it need to wait till later? Engaging in that breathing, the actual resetting where you're inhaling for a count of four, holding it for two and then exhaling for six. And then we go to that, you touched on that physical thing. Who knows what that is for you, but some sort of physical representation of I'm going to move on. It's powerful. It's powerful when you start to bring it into your own life. And I don't do it nearly enough, but I've begun to do more of this stuff, the breathing, the resets, and it changes you. That's all there is to it. It changes you. And that's the challenge. Can you find one of the practical tools that Taylor mentioned? Whenever the tension gets high, what are you going to do to create change for you? There's some practical tools here today. Use them. And as always, live eyes up.